one second, because this is, there it is. You know, I really hope that as uh, folks are setting up their diversity strategies and organizations and their inclusion strategies and things like that, that they talk about these deep issues and they're not mm -hmm. afraid to go there because um, you are missing out on a lot of talent and a lot of um, work performance could be happening better when a, a person is released from that. Um, exactly. and, and it's not always our responsibility as women of color to figure out how to navigate that space. How about we all need to figure out how to navigate the space and how to deal with one another because then you now continue to put us in this other category, right? Um, yes. When you say, well, you guys have to figure out how to uh, not sound so aggressive or not be right. so assertive or whatever the case may be. How about no, it's time that everybody, not just white folks, but everybody start to realize um, that it's everybody's responsibility to help navigate that workforce and to um, decrease and, and hopefully omit the privilege that happens in work. Absolutely. I, mm -hmm. I, I think it's such an important point, Yolanda, because the old school notion of diversity is you unfortunate folks ought to be glad we're letting you join our great institution organization. Just right. come on in, act like us, talk like us, walk like us, it'll all be fine. And then if you That's don't, you're not performing well. And if you don't, goodbye. Yeah. Uh, and what's so what we know diversity and inclusion really means, and this is sort of really the inclusion part, because mm -hmm. one can think about diversity as just bring, just counting heads. Exactly. Uh, uh, but inclusion, uh, as one of my colleagues said, is making sure that heads count, that, that people can bring their full selves to work, mm -hmm. that the organization can learn from the different perspectives and vantage points that people bring. Mm -hmm. And there's social science evidence uh, that organizations that are more diverse, that have people who have diverse perspectives, backgrounds, ways of seeing the world, are actually uh, are more effective than organizations that are homogeneous. They're able mm -hmm. to solve more complex problems in more elegant and innovative ways. Right. And so diversity is not just, it's it's important for ju social justice reasons, and mm -hmm. that's certainly how I cut my teeth. Yeah. But as we know, it's also important for business reasons. But it's not gonna work if you're a minor, uh, if you're uh, staff who are minoritized or minor from minority groups mm -hmm. uh, are spending the days trying to figure out how do I fit here and and, and struggling with uh, being fully included. So right. you're right, it's not just the individuals. In fact, it's not primarily the individual's responsibility to fix that. We do wanna offer and suggest coping strategies, absolutely. Right. right. But it's ultimately the organization's responsibility. How do you create a culture where everyone can be themselves, can bring their full selves, where they don't have to check their identities at the, at the uh, office door. That's that's the super hard work right. of equity, diversity, and inclusion. That, that's the hard work. It's easy to have the half-day seminar, right? And, mm -hmm. to, um, and to learn about some of the things, but doing that deep work 
takes time and it's a continuous process, especially if the organization has never really looked at these issues in a real way. Um, yeah. And so if they haven't, it's just going to take even more time to do that. So I'm glad that there is such a great lens on not just diversity, but also um, bringing inclusion into that and hope, hopefully getting people to understand what inclusion really looks like, too. Um, what what tips can we give for women, especially women of color? who do have to use that double energy. And so for example, when um I'll, I'll just I'll just use me for example. Right now I work at a nonprofit and so we all are very relaxed. Thank God. You know, I do work in a a, a great space where we definitely try to be, you know, inclusive of one another. However, in in some spaces I wouldn't be able to get up and just go to work. I have to think about what I have on. I have to take a double take about what I have on. If I wear a dress that is mid-thigh, that's and, and a white woman wears a dress that's mid-thigh, those are two things that are, are they're siloed, right? So for me, it would be looked at differently. For a Caucasian woman, it would be looked at as acceptable in most spaces. And I just had this conversation with young women yesterday, young college students, and mm. all three of them, uh, one biracial, one, I believe, uh, Latina, and then one uh, African-American. They're like, but we got to think about all of this. Like, we're already tired before we go into the workforce. They're still in college. <laughs> and they're like, we're already exhausted. Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's exhausting to have to think about all of that. Um, what, what tips can we give to women, especially our young women who are facing work issues? I think that most of us, um, you know, I'm at a point in life where um, you kind of even take it or leave it because I know what I'm giving is valuable. But a yeah. lot of our young women don't know that yet. And they're not there yet to feel that safety and freedom to be themselves. So what kind of tips can we give to them? Yeah, yeah. So I think several things. Mm -hmm. um, one is make sure you have a support system. Mm -hmm. Just to be able to talk about these issues can be really helpful, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it doesn't fix, it doesn't change the reality on the ground, but just mm -hmm. to be able to talk about them. And I think one thing that's important about your talking, as you say, with uh, young women yes, mm -hmm. just yesterday is, for some, for some folks who are millennials, uh, they haven't grown up with the this, this sense that racism and sexism are alive and well. They've been somewhat right. shielded from it because, in fact, things have been better right. now than they were in the 50s, mm -hmm. right, or the 60s. Yep. Obama was the president for eight years. And That's right. And people could look at that yeah. and think, gee, the world is a, is a you know, it's mm -hmm. all good. Mm -hmm. And so I think being aware of the reality, which sometimes hasn't yet tripped folks up or had a, had a clear impact on them, right. they're not aware of it. I think that awareness is important. Right. Um, and building a, a support system. There was one study that showed that it was really important for black women to have in predominantly white settings to have a support system at work, not mm -hmm. just at home. The, the home, the, the girlfriends, that's absolutely important too. Mm -hmm. The sister friends at home, right. absolutely. Right. But what they found was that 
sometimes there's a disconnect, particularly for black women, between the home folk and the workplace. Not always, but right. it comes across, for example, if someone's first generation and their sisters or cousins or girlfriends don't aren't, for example, professionals and they mm-hmm. are, sometimes the sister friends, the sisterhood back home doesn't fully get what they're going through. Right. And so what they found was, whereas for white and males and females, if they had strong social support at home, that translated into satisfaction at work. For black women, that wasn't the same. Black right. women needed to have some support at work. Right. So cultivate that. That can be harder. That can take more work. Mm-hmm. But cultivate that. And it's not always going to be people of color. It's not always going to be women. Right. But really identify folks whom whom you can can lean on, be mentored by, co-mentor, peer mentor mm-hmm. uh, with. Uh, so I think that's important. Wow. And I think recognizing our limitations and our humanity. Um, uh, you and I were talking a little bit earlier about just the whole issue of, of black folks going to therapy. Right. Uh, we, of course, as black women, have often been living against the backdrop of the notion that we are always strong. Right. Right. Sometimes I say strong black woman, it might as well be one word. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and so on the one hand, that can be a life-giving and very positive stereotype. It's a lot better than a lot of other stereotypes. Right, right. right. It's almost as if but we'll take that one because we'll the others it. are That's worse. Right. Yeah. It's, it's better than promiscuous. It's right. better than ignorant, right? Mm-hmm. It's better than castrating, right? Right. But it also can be a trap. Mm-hmm. And we can sometimes come to believe that we have got this all right. by ourselves. That's exactly. one of our expressions, yep. right? I, uh-huh. got I got this. I got this, mm-hmm. right? I don't need nobody's help, right? right. That can be problematic, mm-hmm. feeling like uh, I'm supposed to do it by myself. I've been doing it by myself all along. So that's where social support is important. Right. But it also means at times being willing to seek counseling or therapy mm-hmm. and get the support, additional support that we deserve. Right. Uh, not because we're crazy, right. but because everyone deserves an opportunity to explore issues and concerns, sometimes from our past, sometimes uh, things that are happening right now mm-hmm. uh, that, that, are, that are making life difficult. So I think, right. I think all of those help, can help us to not only survive, but, but thrive. But to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Man, we talked about a lot, preparing uh, in an informal way for spaces, uh, making sure we understand the inside stuff, you know, like trying to understand the inside stuff and forging those relationships. It sounds like there's a a huge thread of making sure that we have positive relationships within and outside of the workplace. And that's a common uh, theme all the time. And that would help us face the, that whole shifting aspect that you all did the research on. Right. Um, yeah. And, and having those social supports and then possibly sometimes going to counseling and saying, you know what, I've been carrying this S on my chest for so long. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know what, for a minute, I didn't know what S stood for, but now I, I think it's a double, it's a double entendre. Yes, I like to tell my daughter, girl, Superwoman is dead. 
she she never even existed like she was fake she was fake and um it's something that was put on us um Mm -hmm. and put on our ancestors and and put on their ancestors and all of that and so it's not it's not real we've been carrying something that really has been false yes right yeah yeah it really has been false um you know what if you had to name the top two, maybe three things that um, uh, are breeding racism right now, what what would it be that's breeding it and that's keeping it living? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'd have to start by saying just the history of enslavement, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, so it, it's it's the the genesis of this country. Mm. Right, we can, can, that's inescapable. This country was founded on racism before the before 1776, during mm-hmm. the uh, as slaves were brought over, beginning in the early 17th century, the early 1600s. Mm-hmm. Uh, founded on the notion that black people were inferior. Founded on the notion that Native American people were inferior. That has been part and parcel of this country's history, which we've never fully looked at, addressed and accounted for so i think that's number one Mm -hmm. i think the i think the second thing is that demographics are changing and that's very threatening to some white people right perhaps particularly white people who are working class who haven't who don't have significant class privilege but but also to others right and i think the fact that we're this we soon will be a majority minority country and that many regions of our country including where i'm sitting here in dc mm-hmm. uh, i've been majority minority for a long time is very scary and threatening to people uh which is interesting because it somehow suggests that fundamentally uh, we can't make this thing work as a multicultural society that that, right. that some whoever has the majority has to have power and the right. others don't. I don't. I don't see it. I don't right. see it as a zero sum game. Either mm-hmm. black folk or brown folk have power, or white folk have power. I don't right. see it that way. Right. Uh, but I think that, I think there's fear, and and when I try to be understanding and empathic, I think there's a sense of loss and grief on the part of of some white folks, and it's je- partly jumping generational. It's partly yeah. class. Uh, the, the the America that they knew, mm-hmm. the racist America that they knew is changing mm-hmm. and, and it's not going to be that anymore. Right. And then I think the third thing is this current administration, which clearly has stoked, stoked, uh, uh, you know, actively stoked ethnocentrism, racism, sexism, mm-hmm. uh, just, just, it, it really played to the fear that I just spoke of. Exactly. Intentionally absolutely though. Played, absolutely played to that. Yeah. And that's, and, and, and use that as a way of becoming, of getting elected and, of of sort of, uh, keeping part of the populace beholden to it. And really it's become, as we know, a, a, a point of, great polarization right so those three things i think are are have contributed to where we are today wow and and you know with the number one thing that you said is about the history 
we can't talk about solving any of these problems if we don't acknowledge it. You know, in some spaces we are doing a great job, but in some spaces we want to pretend that it didn't happen and that it's not there. And we have to understand you hit the nail on the head in so many things just within the last two seconds is the history and then the fear and Uh loss, the fear Uh of something that I like to say that was not yours from the start anyway. And so you're losing this false sense of superiority Uh that you never was supposed to have in the first place, but it's actually real for them. So we need to acknowledge that it's a psychological thing in both, in all spaces. It's a huge psychological issue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. wow. Absolutely. Love, love, and, love that. And, and the need to feel superior is fundamentally based on a sense of insecurity, right? Insecurity. Yeah, I mean we we see that in the White House, right? Mm-hmm. That, that people who need to feel superior, who need to do everything possible mm-hmm. to put forth that they are better than everyone else, mm-hmm. to put others down, to demean yeah. others, yeah, are are fundamentally insecure, and yeah. so that 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 insecurity is behind it. Although that may not be what we see visibly, what show what shows. It does. Most most bullies, you know, they're they're pretty insecure, right? That's because right. they're That's they're right. afraid of this. They're afraid of something, so they make it seem like you know that they are these tough guys or girls, and and it's not working. You know, um, I was. It, it, I never want to be a person who. Um, gets to the point that I'm totally desensitized. So I do like to still be surprised at some things. And then today, um, the president, um, and it's taken, I'm gonna just go be real honest here. It's taken me a long time to refer to him as the president, but Mm -hmm. I have accepted that that is his title. That is the position that he's in because of my own um, thoughts and expectations of this person in this office. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now this person who is only a human being that I've held to a standard that's supposed to be there. It's real. Right. Is now really disappointing us. Like it's it's so disappointing. And today he was saying how he um, would love to run against um, three men. Uh, he mentioned uh, Beto O'Rourke, he mentioned Joe Biden, he mentioned um, Bernie Sanders, but he didn't mention anybody else who are on the who's on the platform, which are women or minorities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. I missed that, but fascinating, right? Fascinating. <laughs> it, it's interesting. One of the just a little small thing that he said a couple of days ago, I think, really captures maybe more the sexism than the racism, but we know the racism is there. When he said, I refer to George Conway as Mr. Kellyanne Conway. Yes. That's supposed to be the ultimate insult to refer to a man mm-hmm. as Miss, as through the wife's name, Mr. Kellyanne Conway. Right. And we know good and well that women for generations and still today to some extent, maybe a mm-hmm. lesser extent, are referred to as Mrs. George Conway. That wouldn't be seen as an insult. No. But just that, just that. I don't. Even, and I bet he wasn't even 
fully conscious he knew that that was an insult. Right. But what I'm sure he doesn't know is how deeply sexist that is exactly. and how deeply racist it is to only name uh, the white male candidates right. who, who pre presumably are the only candidates worthy of even acknowledging uh, right. in, in, in his thinking. Right, exactly. And where we cannot um, change his behavior, that's something that he's going to have to do from within. How do we stand up to not just him? Because this world cannot operate just by him, right? It takes us doing things in our own little spaces. How do we stand up to folks like that? Not so much just the president, but when we see it, whether it be this invisible thing or whether it be blatant and outright as our president is with it, um, how do we stand up and be a voice for people who don't know how to verbalize, wait a minute, that didn't feel right. Like you need to think about the fact that you just made an assumption about somebody who had a maybe a tattoo on their neck or something mm -hmm. like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, how do we stand up for people like that? Well, I Two think, people. you know, it's interesting. I think we, we have to do our own work, our own self-awareness building our own education uh, so that we know when mm -hmm. bias and prejudice and isms are flying right right we don't always know that right we and and we may know it by we may we may recognize it about race maybe if we're a person of color but may not tune into the gender one if we're mm -hmm. a, a male of color mm -hmm. we may recognize it about gender but may not tune into the sexual orientation one or the religious one, right? The mm -hmm. Islamophobia. So, I mean, we, we've got to do our own work to be able to see. There's also a way in which we, we often, not surprisingly, have internalized biases. So it, right. it's actually difficult to not have taken in some of the crap that's outside. Right. To not, as a woman have some doubts about one's capacity because one is a woman or to not as a black person have some doubts about one's intellectual uh, capacity as a black person. So we've got to fight mm -hmm. against that and, and sort of uh, look at that and, and mm -hmm. figure out if that's part of what's going on with us. And I mm -hmm. think once we have a clearer sense of what's happening in the world, mm -hmm. I wonder, for example, how many people how many other people reacted to the, I call him Mr. Kellyanne Conway with, that's sexist. To me, it's blatantly sexist, but I, I wonder if other people saw it that right, way. Right. But if we're not able to, to, to see things like that, then it's hard to stand up. Then I think we figure out which battles we're gonna fight, how we educate others, how we educate mm -hmm. our children, mm -hmm. how we educate our children, how we educate our boys about, and girls. Right about sexism, for example, mm -hmm. uh, so that they don't perpetuate, uh, how we form allyships with people who are uh, uh, from the dominant racial group around issues of, of racial mm -hmm. uh, justice. Uh, 
I think there are an array of things we can do. Right. And 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 but what we can't do, and it kind of takes me back to where we started, mm-hmm. we're probably not gonna do it all, we're not gonna fix it all, right. We're not gonna, right? And so we also have to make sure that we stay centered and relatively sane if possible. <laughs> right. And, and 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 able to laugh at times yeah. and to uh, because if we don't have those things, then it's hard to make much of a contribution. That's right. We got to take some walks in the woods, Dr. Kamea. Yes, Definitely have to right. take some walks that's in the right. woods. You know, I have, um, I, I love, I'm so fortunate to have like great circles of friends and sisters and, and stuff like that. But I have this one circle that we love. So hello, hello. Thank you all for joining again. I am Yolanda Johnson of Beyond Measure LLC, and this is yet another great segment of Can You See Me? Women Leadership in Race. It is Women's History Month, and I have yet another treat, and I know I always say that, but this is another treat because I believe that women have so much to share with one another, and as um, one of our previous um, uh, uh, interviewees said, that we could find our story and everyone, right? You could find pieces of your story in each other and you could learn from each other, all of that. And so again, I'm Yolanda Johnson of Beyond Measure LLC. This is Can You See Me? Women Leadership in Race. And today I am chatting with Dr. Kumea Shorter Gooden of, and she is the principal of Shorter Consulting. And I am, um, I've had the pleasure of uh, working with uh, Dr. Shorter Gooden a couple of years ago at my second event. And I tell you, the feedback that I got from the women um, and men, because we did have a male there that year that were in the room, was just amazing to hear um, the history that you brought forth and the tools that you brought forth to help us understand who we are as women, especially women of color. So I'm going to turn this over to Dr. Kumea and let her tell you all a little bit about what she's doing now. Um, And then we're going to take it from there. Thank you, Sister Yolanda. It's so good to be part of this really important look at women, leadership, race. I'm a, I'm a clinical community psychologist, uh, born in D.C., lived in various places, now back in D.C., uh, and have spent much of my career trying to understand what it's like, in particular for black women and women of color and people of color more broadly, to navigate issues of race and for women to navigate issues of gender, racism and sexism, racial identity, gender identity. Uh, I co-authored the book, Shifting the Double Lives of Black Women uh, in America with Sharice Jones, where we uh, did a deep dive into this issue and looked at how black women uh, dealt with the biases that are thrown our way and how we found ourselves, our identity, our voice, in spite of it all. Uh, okay. And so I'm delighted to be with you. Currently, I, I, was, I was a psychology professor for many, many years. I was a chief diversity officer at two different uh, colleges, universities. I'm currently uh, leading Shorter Good and Consulting, doing diversity, equity, inclusion-related training and consultation, and having fun in spite of all the work and all the challenges 
that, that we face in this world. That's so good to say having fun because we can get so caught up, those of us who um, are learning how not to carry the weight of the world on us, right? Mm -hmm. um, when we see all of these issues, especially as it relates to women being marginalized and um, uh, abused, and you know, I don't wanna give it any pretty words no more, right? Mm -hmm. Especially women, mm -hmm. as particularly women of color and how we're being um, just, not handled well and so um thank you for reminding us that we got to have fun in the midst of all of that because mm -hmm. doing diversity equity inclusion work can be a lot of heavy work because you got to talk about some deep issues so what do you do to have fun what do, what do i do to have fun yes what do you oh do my. to have fun I, this is this is a good moment to ask me that because i've i've I think I'm doing better at it in the past couple of years than I did through a lifetime. Uh -huh. uh, and I, I'm blessed that I have some flexibility in my work life because I'm right. self-employed. Right. So I started taking tap dance classes recently. Wow. And I've for years been, uh, I, I, I danced as a, you know, when I was in uh, college and uh -huh. beyond and sometimes performed at African dance. And so I have this identity as a dancer and I kind of put it on the back burner for years, uh -huh. but now I'm pulling it back out. I'm also part of my church's liturgical dance team. Wow. So that's one set of things. I've mm -hmm. also realized that my goodness, walking outside in the woods is absolutely lovely and have sort of found the outdoors and nature and mm -hmm. which was never an important part of my life. And there are all kinds of reasons why that can be hard for, for black women, for mm -hmm. women of color, for people in the city, issues of security and safety. Right. But I found a space and a place where I can engage in that and feel secure and comfortable. And I feel very fortunate about that. Uh, right. So those are two of the things. And I love to read fiction yeah. uh, to escape the, the real world at times, <laughs> which is often, of course, uh, we're more enlightened about through reading fiction, actually, mm -hmm. which captures real world issues in a way that sometimes brings them more even more to life and brings more meaning so those are a few of the things that i do absolutely i love that you know um i was just talking about um how uh, part of my tag for Beyond Measure is discover, lead, and expand and what i've learned is that um through that discovery process you are always going through that discovery process. So it may be discovering, leading, expanding, and back to discovering and rediscovering so much about who we are. And so I love how you said that um, you, you realize that taking a walk in the woods feels good, right? Mm -hmm. And you love mm -hmm. that. So talk a little bit about when we have to rediscover who we are sometimes like what does that look like if you could just give us a little nugget about what does it look like to kind of rediscover those things we love or rediscover something about ourselves that we may never realize or we may have lost at some point mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting i think the older we get uh it, it, the more we can kind of tune into parts of ourselves that we've left behind Mm. And so for me, for example, I come from a family where my mother was very artistic and my one sister was very artistic. I was not. Oh. Uh, I stopped drawing when my younger sister's drawings were clearly better than mine. And it was like, no, I don't do that. 
And so I'm not drawing again. Yeah, that's not the thing that calls me, but I realize mm -hmm. there's something about the visual arts, about appreciating paintings, mm -hmm. about appreciating the leaves on the trees. That's very much part of what I learned from my mother and family, but that mm -hmm. I kind of put it, pushed aside. Wow. Uh, and I'm trying to create space now for something that I may not be the best at it. And that's been part of the issue for me. Mm -hmm. I stopped drawing because I wasn't as good as my sister who was three years younger. Wow. And, and I think that can block us at times, right? Right. If we're, we're supposed to be the best mm -hmm. and I had to give it up. Right. But, and, and now I'm realizing it's okay. I don't have to be the best. That's right. Uh, I, I don't have to understand paintings to, to, to feel something from them and and experience something often spiritual by by mm -hmm. viewing mm -hmm. and so to create opportunities to do that has been really important mm -hmm. for me in my life i love that man I, I tell you and and you know i it was good to start on a nice light note um because <laughs> because with someone who has had the education and experiences that you have had and the things that you're doing now with diversity equity and inclusion work and seeing the things that we are seeing today not 20 years ago, not 50 years ago, today. I'm not even sure what the question is, Dr. Kumea. Yeah. But I've been yeah. waiting to talk to you just to see what your thoughts on are on um, what, what the things that we're seeing today as it relates to women, as it relates to race issues, racism, what, what's happening? Yeah, it's a tough, tough time, isn't it? Yes. You know, I grew up in the in the in the '60s when many of us uh, were very active, of course, in the civil rights movement, the Black Power movement, and the women's movement uh, mm -hmm. subsequent to that. Mm -hmm. And when we thought and believed and hoped that we were kind of putting to bed some of these problems, right. that we'd really figured out how to conquer them. We knew we weren't there yet, but mm -hmm. we felt like there was a trajectory that was going in the right direction. And, in, and of course, there were many strides. I mean, my, my educational opportunities uh, were far different than my parents, right? right. Because of the civil rights movement, because right. of the, the struggles of our, our four parents. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet now, you know, many decades later, we are looking at significant issues in terms of, for example, black enrollment in universities. Uh, the, the, the numbers have stagnated. Right. Uh, the, 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 you know, we're not doing well in that regard mm -hmm. overall. Mm -hmm. uh, the numbers of black faculty in universities, just as an example, mm -hmm. is you know, two, three percent on average. Uh, across the across the nation, mm -hmm. and we're then looking uh, at these egregious acts of racism, as in Charlottesville, uh, a couple of years ago, and so it's a very mm. difficult difficult time. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I think one of the virtues, if I can dare use that Absolutely. word, is that. What's been happening in the past couple of years, particularly since the last presidential election, right. uh, is that it's shining a light on issues of racism and sexism that may have been a bit obscure. I mean, we all knew there was still stuff there. Right. 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 But th there certainly were people 
marching around after Obama was elected. Not many people of color, I don't believe, but right. there were other folks who were saying we're post-racial, let we, let's move on, right? Right, right. Uh, this new era is shining a light on these issues. The Me Too movement. Yes. Certainly the presidential candidate that I wanted to win did not win, but mm -hmm. the one who won, I think, uh, ironically, of course, mm -hmm. has helped to foster a Me Too movement. Right. That ultimately is a really, really good thing and, and have to have to uh, acknowledge that an African-American woman, Tarana Burke, was the person who began the Me Too movement probably a decade ago. And exactly. so it's her, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's her movement that then has gotten picked up. And we've got to make sure that these issues of sexual harassment and sexual assault and sexual misconduct mm -hmm. are talked about uh, in terms of their impact on everyday working class women, women of color, that it's not just which celebrity. That's important. Exactly. That's absolutely important. I don't Man. want celebrity women to be harassed or, right. or assaulted. Absolutely. Right. Right. But we've got to make sure that women who are in positions with very little voice and very little power, whose story, whose names and stories are not going to be in the paper mm -hmm. because they stand up, that they also have an opportunity uh, to 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 uh, tell their story and to have recourse for for the victimization or the challenges in these arenas that they face. So it's a that. tough time, and yet I mm -hmm. think. There's this. There's some things that are happening, and I think particularly for Black women, this intersection of racism and sexism yeah. is being addressed in a healthier way. For many years, uh, there was sort of this notion that we don't talk about sexism because we've got a racism problem, or we don't want right. to. And especially if we're talking about, say, something like sexual assault and a black man is involved, mm -hmm. right? Oh. We It's kind of hard to go there because, you know, brothers are downtrodden and all of that is true. Mm -hmm. but, if, but if you have a Bill Cosby who's a perpetrator, right? you got to deal with it. Got to deal with right? it. You got to deal with it. Uh, and so we're, I think, beginning to move beyond that notion that we must have we, we can tolerate sexism within the black community because we have to or supposed to or because we can't do anything that uh, derides a brother. It's not uh, telling, tell, calling people out when they're wrong can only help them and our community to grow. Mm -hmm. Yep. We got we to gotta do that. Absolutely. And I, I believe that it's going to help our younger black men if we own it and not dismiss it, right? And a lot of times, I, I say we, we as people, sometimes I read conversations and I'm like, ooh, do we realize that we are dismissing a sexual predator or diminishing the impact of that on another person because we're saying, well, what about this one? Or what about that one? No, 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 let's focus right here in our own backyard. Let's focus in our own backyard. And I love that you re you're reminding us all about Tawana uh, Burke. 
This was her platform. It is exactly. her platform. And 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 her face speaks for a lot of little um uh, black girls in our community who do not have that voice, you know. That's and so I, I'm glad you said that because um and, and I think that people are careful and trying not to do this, but when there becomes a um a certain um socioeconomic status involved with sexual abuse, then it's almost as if that becomes the face of it and it's not it's us as a whole right right. um and so uh preferably what we can do in our little spaces is to make sure that there are voices for those young women whether it be black black caucasian latina young girls who don't have a television platform you know that's right right. yeah i love that love that what Go ahead. mentioned R. Kelly. Just have to put just put the name out there. For, thank you know. This is a moment where after what, how many years have we mostly pretty much known about his abusiveness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Finally. Isn't finally. that what happens in generations though? Some t- so in some family structures, not all of them, but in some family structures that we kind of know. You you know mm-hmm. you even know what I mean? Like. Mm, Something mm-hmm. right about way the way they're always hanging at high schools with little girls. You know right. what I mean? Like right. stop it. And um and stop when I say stop it, I mean like stop almost like um compartmentalizing this behavior of folks like R. Kelly because there's gonna be more and more R. Kelly's and blaming everybody else. Let them deal with their responsibility, but we have to say so that more young women, and I tell you, I feel like I just had an identical conversation, so that more young women can feel like, well, I I can actually speak. I have the freedom and the safety to speak rather than, you know, they're going to ostracize my family if I say something, you know. Um, So, yeah, we got to stop that. It's a huge issue. So this is so that's uh, mm-hmm. it's exciting. It's yeah. sad. Every mm-hmm. it, it's it's a sad and challenging time mm-hmm. around race, around gender. Right. Uh, but it's also a, a time when I think it's an inflection point. I, I want to believe. I love that an inflection uh, point uh, around both of these issues and yeah. around the uh, what what impacts so powerfully the lives of. Of many women of color in particular. Right. Um, and and a, a point where hopefully, you know, like a lot of older people will say, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I, mm-hmm. I hope that we're in the midst of that worse and it's going to get better. I, I, <laughs> yes, that, that's what I'm hoping yeah. for too, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, when I was on a little break before we talked, Charlottesville is actually on TV today. Something somebody said something racist down there again oh, there's really? some type I'm... of focus there i don't not sure what it is it just happened okay. today yeah i'll check that out yeah, yeah something something's there already again um you mentioned this administration and um and and how this administration because of that there has been some things that have helped to elevate um of folks because I definitely see how it has pushed a lot of us to say okay I got this platform and whatever this platform use uh, looks like I'm going to use it to do something to uh-huh. do something and to create some good or to create some change or to highlight some good um 
how do you feel about what you're seeing in Congress right now as far as the diversity um, and is it inclusive yet? Well, we're a lot better than we were, right? Right, right. I mean, so that's the other virtue, if you will, mm -hmm. of the current administration. Mm -hmm. I don't think we would be seeing the women, the women of color right. in Congress that we saw and, and many just elected, of course, in 2018, but for this this current administration. Mm -hmm. So and, 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 so that's powerful. You know, right. the youngest congressperson ever. Right. Uh, AOC, uh, mm -hmm. the, you know, a number of African-American women. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it is extraordinary. It and is. so we're not there yet in terms of parity, in terms of the, the percentage mm -hmm. of black women and Latinx, Latina women and right. Asian women. But we're certainly a far, far further along than we had been. And I mm -hmm. think this, what's going on today is inspiring and motivating and troubling a generation. Right. And, and thus, I think helping to catalyze a level of activism and engagement that's perhaps unlike any other generation since the 60s, mm -hmm. right? In terms of kind of a, we gotta do something kind of, kind of sensibility. I love that. And, you know, I also feel that it's given us the opportunity to show that we're going to stand up for 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 them. Right. For the next generation that we're standing up, that we're not going to be complacent. Either we're standing up for you or we're going to cheer you on to get out there and make it happen and support you. And so I do. I try to look at it like that outside of my moments of wanting to, like, throw something at the TV, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I try to look at it like, OK, we got this moment and we got this platform. Thank you, because we're taking yeah. it. We are taking it. Man, Um Talk about before you became the chief diversity officer at University of Maryland and that moment when you were um, appointed to that position or selected for that position, what were you thinking, Dr. Kumea? Like what, what came over your mind as far as um, the scope of the work and what needs to be done? Like, what, what did you think? Because there are so many women out there who want to take certain leaps into different areas. Um, and so, but it, it can be a little intimidating. So mm -hmm. talk about how, what, what you felt in that moment when you knew that you had this position and this task at hand. Yeah, it was definitely intimidating. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I mean, I had the fortune of already being a chief diversity officer so it wasn't a new title okay but i've been a chief diversity officer in a very different institution much smaller mostly graduate students this was in california mm -hmm. uh not a public university not a research one mm -hmm. uh and so just the uh, just moving from one institution to another seemed major one oh, wow. west coast one east coast there's some differences there yeah. uh so very frightening, very, very frightening. Really? You are always so cool. I would have never thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, wow. I'm a little like a duck paddling along. It, it's hidden, but it's, but it's, it's, I'm scrambling on the inside, but yeah. it, so it took, it took some, uh, it, it, it was a, it was a challenging position to take. Uh, I'm grateful that I didn't, uh, 
shrink totally and say no uh, to the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Wonderful opportunity, great learning opportunity, hard, hard demanding job. Um, I've got some scars and scabs, but mm -hmm. I also uh, learned a tremendous uh, a lot from from that work yeah. and from the opportunity. Good for you. How can we as women, when we're looking to, because, you know, we like to say now, and it's always, it's almost become a, a motto, I'm going to take my seat at the table, or, you know, a lot of us like to say, you know, no, we, we earn that seat, so we're not taking it, and we're not going to wait for you to give it to us, it's ours, we belong there. Um, what are some of the things that we need to think about as professionals, be it in business or the workforce, that um, when we are looking to gain that seat at the table, that we need to, what are the things that we need to be thinking about to make sure that we are earning it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, obviously we need to, we, we, have to be prepared right and you know one of the burdens of course is we've often heard and learned that uh we need to be twice as prepared in order right. to be seen as just as prepared and of course that ain't right it's not fair right but there's still unfortunately some reality of that so i think mm -hmm. everything that we can do to prepare ourselves in terms of education in terms of training mm -hmm. in terms of of seeking out mentoring, which is really important. Right. I mean, that, I think that that's actually an mm -hmm. important part. Right. Sometimes we think that the preparation is all formal, and obviously there are certainly degrees and mm -hmm. certifications that right. can can help us to to get where we want to go. But that's only one part of it. Mm -hmm. Another part of it is often informal. It's learning the the ropes mm -hmm. it's learning the um the inside stuff that's not written in the policy manual <laughs> right that's not advertised <laughs> that you're not shared when you're onboarded uh and that often is what can trip up people from marginalized groups because we're not in the inner circle we may not be at the water cooler in the water cooler conversation or invited to that on the golf course uh, we're not at the golf course often. Mm -hmm. And so we may know, we may have the formal credentials and we may have the formal onboarding. Right. And we may get the, the stated rules and mm -hmm. be told the explicit expectations. But mm -hmm. there's often, and often what uh, makes or breaks someone's success is the informal. Yeah. And so doing everything we can to forge mentorship and relationships with those whom we trust and and can confide in at work and can be ourselves with at work is important right Rela related to that that there's sort of modern racism takes interesting forms uh modern racism modern sexism and one of the manifestations is that sometimes people from marginalized groups are politely avoided so, you know, you're in an, an organization, you're a person of color, it's a predominantly white work team. You're not, nobody's calling you the N-word. Nobody's ugly or hostile. People mm -hmm. are polite and mm -hmm. friendly, but you're politely avoided, in part because well-meaning colleagues aren't quite sure how to talk to the, you know, <clears throat> the new black woman or 
the black guy or uh, they, they, they're afraid of messing up. They, they, they see themselves as liberal and they are in terms of how they vote. Mm-hmm. They don't want to do something that's politically incorrect. Right. But you're kind of cut out. You're kind of, you're isolated. And that makes it then harder to learn the informal rules of the game. Exactly. Because you're not, so it's, it's, it's one of the mm. interesting ways in which bias manifests in a kind of quiet, subtle, invisible way and right. yet can have a huge impact. It can, uh, man, I tell you, I knew we were going to go some places we didn't know we were going to go. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head with, with what so many women of color and women also deal with in general, but definitely women of color. I want to sit in that whole politely avoided thing because mm-hmm. it, it, you said it takes on a lot of different forms and um, in this invisible biasness. What's happening is, is that you almost cut off the oxygen of the person in the organization when you do that. Actually, you do because you're like, well, I don't know how to talk to her or I don't know how to um, communicate with her or I better be careful. Exactly. Exactly. That person can feel that. And so then they're going to retreat or shrink because they're not comfortable in that space. I found that in talking to a lot of younger women of color. Um, I found that in women of my age of color, I have been faced with that as well, um, where I may be able to recognize it a little bit more. It is, um, it's very disheartening because then I have to double think about how I communicate. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it adds an extra burden. And one of yes. the things in, in the research that Sharice Jones and I did that led to the book Shifting the Double Lives of Black Women mm-hmm. in America. Where can we, we find st- that book? Is that still on Amazon? It's it's definitely on Amazon. Okay. Shif- Shifting the oh. Double Lives of Black Women in America. Okay, we, good. We surveyed a couple hundred women, interviewed dozens of women from across the nation mm-hmm. about their experiences of navigating racial and gender bias. It, it's not all about work. It's some about houses of worship and about relationships, but yes. there's a lot about work and about how this extra burden of having to figure out how to interact in predominantly white and predominantly male settings mm-hmm. added a couple of extra things to the black woman's job description that weren't on the job description, right? That no were not there. That says figure out how to work with white folks or how to how to deal with racism right. in a job, right? It's not right. listed, but it becomes an extra burden, pulling away psychic energy and and focus on the job at hand. Yeah. And thus compromising at times our capacity to really be there and do all of the work that we are able to do and to give all that we're able to give. And that's what that's what we mean by shifting kind mm-hmm. of the, the various ways in which uh, black women uh, maneuver, uh, change how what they think, mm-hmm. uh, their feelings change in response to racial and gender bias. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's conscious, right, and sometimes not. But not there was a woman who worked at, at, in her municipal government mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, talked about how predominantly white uh, 
uh, team at the uh, in the municipal government agency, and she talked about how when she would leave the agency at five o'clock every day, she had to wipe the white off as she went to the bus stop to catch the bus to go back to the predominantly black community where she lived. Mm-hmm. That she had that 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 there was a whole different persona that she had had to assume at mm-hmm. work to allow her to function and thrive and do well. Mm-hmm. But it took some energy. And right. then she needed to wipe it off and go home and then start right. up again the next day. And that, right. that kind of really captured this notion of shifting and having to navigate between worlds and how challenging and energy consuming 